Election College, episode 132. Who is Hannibal Hamlin? Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Ben, for all of the things that we know about Abraham Lincoln, there's not a lot that I knew about his first vice president. You mean Hannibal Hamlin? Yeah, I... Sorry, I'm not from the Northeast. <laughs> if, <laughs> Didn't know too much. If you uh, if you get a good picture of him, you can see he has a little neck beard, too. Uh, yeah, so, I, I noticed that. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's like creeping over there like, hey, guys. <laughs> it's not quite as bad as some other neck beards we've seen in history, but it was there. It's there. Yeah. Hey, so Hamlin, he's born up in uh, Massachusetts in the, at the colony. Um, well, it's not a colony anymore, but his parents settled when it was a colony back in the 1600s. And, uh, you know, there's a senator named Samuel Livermore that he was actually a descendant of. He was his grandnephew. And he was also the son-in-law of Stephen Emery, who was an attorney general in Maine. And so, you know, Hamlin is already coming from a bit of a political background we're seeing. Yeah. A little bit about his personal life. As he grows, uh, he <laughs> becomes the husband of Sarah Jane Emery, and they are married for, oh, over 20 years, 22 years, and then she dies, and then he married her half-sister the next year. So get this, Ben. Mm-hmm. He's got four kids with Sarah. Yep. He's got two kids with Ellen. Okay. Does that mean your siblings or cousins? That's a really good question. <laughs> uh, I think both. Your sister cousins. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> well, shortly after he marries his first wife, uh, he actually gets elected to the Maine House of Representatives. And the governor, John Fairfield, there is... Um, uh, looking for a major on his staff. So he gets appointed to be the major, and he serves in the militia. So there's a couple, you know, engagements he's involved in, and um, then he decides, hey, I might, might as well run for the House of Representatives of the United States. Yeah, because what's different? <laughs> Politics, war? Yeah, it's all the same. Huh. Uh, so he runs, and he loses, of course, and um, then leaves the main state house a year later. Yeah. He later serves two terms in the U S house of representatives. And that was in the mid 1840s. And then he fills a U.S. Senate vacancy in 1848 and is there until 1851. And he was a Democrat at the beginning. Did you say was he was? Oh, okay. That that's important. Cause I'm, going to give that away later on yeah (laughs) and he backed the candidacy of franklin pierce in the 1852 election i I just wanted people to know you were foreshadowing (laughs) (laughs) so 
at the very beginning. So it wasn't necessarily the politically correct thing to be at the time, but he was an ardent opponent of slavery and was not for any continuation of the practice. And he supported um, being against all of those compromises that we've talked about before, the Compromise of 1850, Missouri, and the Kansas-Nebraska Act. Um, Yeah, he was like, no, thank you. (laughs) And he got to the point in the mid-1850s that he withdrew from the Democratic Party and helped organize and join the Republican Party. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Really kind of took off. (laughs) (laughs) People were a little bit irritated, too. Uh, But the Republicans liked him, so they nominated him for the governor of Maine in 1856. And he actually wins. He carries the election, kind of carries it away, I guess you could say. And uh, then he resigns, (laughs) like, a year later. Uh, I'm sorry, a month later after he gets into office Mm -hmm. and becomes a member of the U.S. Senate till 1861. And then in 1861, well, something else happens and you'll find out what right now. Yeah, because (laughs) (laughs) I'm about to give it all away. So Hamlin was nominated by the Republicans to serve as the vice presidential candidate on the same ticket with... You know who this guy is, Abraham Lincoln. So Lincoln was from Illinois, right? Mm -hmm. And to have a VP from Maine, that makes a lot of sense because, well, let's just face it. Republicans are not going to get a whole lot of support down south. Right. Illinois, it's kind of out west. You need somebody from back east. So Hamlin, he's a former Democrat now, and he can help, hopefully, sway some of the other anti-slavery Democrats over to the Republicans in this election. Lincoln and Hamlin, they knew each other, but they weren't really all that close. Uh, They worked well together when they had to work well together, but they weren't going to go play golf or anything. (laughs) Uh, You know, the vice president is... we, We joke a lot, and... Everyone jokes a lot about how the vice president doesn't have a lot to do. Well, that was especially true, uh, even more so when there was less stuff to do back in the 1800s. So uh, the vice president was actually part of the legislative branch, and he was the president of the Senate. So he doesn't really go to cabinet meetings and all that good stuff. And so Hamlin, like, barely ever even sets foot inside the White House. Um, There's also some rumors that maybe Mary Todd uh, didn't really like Hannibal Hamlin, which, you know, would give anybody reason not to want to go to the White House, I suppose, if Mary Todd didn't like you. But, True. Um, you know, Hamlin kind of says, yeah, I'm, I'm a fifth wheel. It doesn't really matter what I say or do. Uh, I'm just along for the ride. Yeah, it seems kind of shocking, at least to me, at this point, to think that the vice president would have such a small role in the administration. But keep in mind that the role of the vice president was seen as a not-so-important thing right. at this time. I mean, you did have some vice presidents rise to become president, to be elected at that point, but it's nothing like it is even today where vice presidents are very influential in 
determining some of the policies in the administration and right. helping to steer the way the, the steer the priorities of what's going on in Washington. This time it wasn't really like that. So in 1860, Hamlin was a member of the Maine Coast Guard. And you would think, hmm, that's strange. He's <laughs> kind of serving in the military while he's vice president, but go figure. So the company gets called up in the summer of 1864 because guess what? There's a war going on, right? (laughs) And Hamlin was told because he's the vice president, you don't have to go to war. That makes sense. So he says, but I can set an example to any and every citizen who could serve in the military. I need to do this. And his only concession was that he be quartered with the officers. So I can understand that, right? You're the vice president after (laughs) all. So he goes over to Fort McClary in July and he takes part in whatever assignments he was called to do. And he took over as the company cook, (laughs) because wouldn't you like your vice president to cook for you? I suppose. Sure. So he gets promoted to corporal, and then he musters out with the rest of his unit in mid-September. So in June of 1864, the Republicans, uh, which, you know, Hamlin is a part of, and the War Democrats, which we discussed previously, get together and form the National Union Party. And so Lincoln gets renominated, uh, but he decides, or the party decides, maybe Hannibal Hamlin isn't the best option because, you know, I don't know if you noticed, but it's 1864 and things are a little bit splintered in the United States. So we might as well put Andrew Johnson in there. He's a war Democrat. He's from Tennessee. Um, We might as well make him the running mate. So, you know, Lincoln is really thinking about Southern Reconstruction already at this point. And Johnson, he's the military governor. Like he was from Tennessee. He gets it. Hamlin is from Maine. He's part of this group of people who are later going to impeach Johnson. Uh, Mm -hmm. So you can already tell they're not going to get along. I mean, obviously they didn't know he was going to impeach them, but uh, things just aren't going to work out the way that they could. And so Lincoln's like, I'm I'm sorry, dude, but Mary doesn't like you. That's the whole reason. It's not, it doesn't have anything. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) He's, he, uh, uh, it doesn't seem like there was any bitterness or anything, but uh, basically Hamlin gets the ax. Yeah. And, you know, that's okay. It's whatever, right? I mean... I I wouldn't say that if I was the vice president, but yeah. Sure. I mean, hindsight. Mm -hmm. Whatever. Mm -hmm. So, after Hamlin is no longer vice president, he serves as the collector of the Port of Boston. So, (laughs) how do you like that? You get to collect stuff. Yeah. I would imagine taxes and other stuff that doesn't seem to be a very desirable job, but (laughs) guess what? He was appointed to that post by Johnson and Hamlin was like, um, I quit. I don't like your reconstruction policy (laughs) and you're trying to build a following and the Republicans don't really like you, Mr. Johnson. So boom, I'm gone. And, 
it's interesting to think because, well, shortly after Lincoln is reelected, well, he's assassinated. So Hannibal Hamlin was extremely close to becoming our president. Yeah, and a lot of people from Maine were really close to the office of the vice president. Uh, you had <laughs> you had other vice presidents vice presidencies from Maine. You had uh, multiple secretaries of the treasury. You had the uh, president pro tempore from uh, Maine. You had the secretary of state, the speaker of the house um, a couple times, and. They also have a couple presidential nominees in the mix there. So um, he he was like right next to the presidency, and so was everyone from Maine for years after that. But anyway, Hamlin decides, you know what? I've had enough of this crap of serving <laughs> as a collector and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to go back to the Senate. So he goes back to the U.S. Senate in 1869 and uh, actually serves for two more terms, which were six years apiece. And then 1880... Uh, realizes, you know, I'm, it's probably not a great idea for me to keep trying to serve. Um, my heart's acting up, and I think I'm going to bail out. Yeah. So he retires for, oh, not quite a year. <laughs> <laughs> when Secretary of State James G. Blaine says, hey, President Garfield, you need to name Hamlin as the ambassador to Spain. <laughs> and Hamlin's like, I've always wanted to go to Spain. Sure. So he serves um, almost a year and a half as the U.S. ambassador to Spain. And in 1850, and when he gets back from Spain, he says, I've had enough. I'm going to retire to Bangor. And that's where he lived for the rest of his life. So on Independence Day, 1891, Hamlin collapses. He falls unconscious while playing cards. And uh, a few hours later, he dies at the age of 81. Yeah, he, uh, the house that Jason mentioned that he lived in uh, was actually um, made into a spot on the National Register of Historic Places in 1979. So that's pretty cool. You can go there and visit the mansion and different kinds of architecture are present there. But... He actually stuck around longer than a lot of the people who succeeded him as vice president. Uh, Andrew Johnson, Schuyler Colfax, Henry Wilson, William Wheeler, which, by the way, who's ever heard of William Wheeler? Chester A. Arthur and Thomas <laughs> Hendricks. Uh, he lived past all of them. And you know, there was a time where he was the only living vice president, current or former. And then after that, he was the only living former vice president until he died in 1891. So remember the episode we did where we talked about all the dead vice presidents? Um, Hannibal Hamlin was not one of them. <laughs> yeah, pretty resilient guy. So if you are ever in Maine, you can see a statue of Hannibal Hamlin right there in downtown Bangor. And that's our story, and we're sticking to it. <laughs> One interesting fact about Hannibal Hamlin is uh, really actually not an interesting fact about him at all. It's about his son, Charles Hamlin. Uh, Charles was actually at Ford's Theater the night of Lincoln's assassination. So I don't know why, but that seems like, I don't know how I'd feel 
if I were the son of the vice president to the man who was just shot and now my dad didn't have to be the president. Yeah. That'd be weird. And yeah. also cool. Very strange to think about. Yeah. Indeed. You know what I think is really strange? What's that? If you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time uh-huh. and you haven't left a rating and a review in iTunes. That is very bizarre for sure. You know, Jason, though, I listen, or actually I, I co-host and um, also edit the podcast. So I guess I listen to it and I've never left us a review. Oh. I think that's probably okay, though. But for the rest of you <laughs> scoundrels, <laughs> you need to leave us a review if you go to electioncollege.com slash review or you just head over to iTunes Leave us a review. You can either give us some stars, we'd like that, or you can also write out a little thing. It'll take you, you know, 60 to 90 seconds. Yeah, and we'd love to interact with you on our social media accounts. We are at Election College on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Give us a shout out and we might shout back at you. Hey, we haven't mentioned that in a while, but if you remember, we had our audio book called The Dueling Letters over on Audible. You can pick that up for just under $4, whether you're an Audible member or not. And um, yeah, we'd really think that was cool. It's about the the letters written between Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr right before the duel happened. So check that out. You had to say his name. Yeah, it's part of my thing. We'll see you next time. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to US News and World Report, we're the 25th top paying career. Make an impact as a fact seeker and a truth teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you.